Before today's episode kicks off, we wanted to announce... The Hot Young Book Club! Woot! We are always wanting to learn and grow, so we are going to launch some bonus episodes as we discuss our first book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And since we're busy too, we are going to be breaking it down into bite-sized chunks to read and discuss. And we would love it, love it, love it if you all would join us. Our first meeting will be August 7th and we will link the book in the show notes. Can't wait to have you guys with us. On today's show, we're welcoming Megan Blau of Blue Copper Design. Megan talks to us about how she experiments with her design business model to make it work for her. She also shares her home renovation experience to accommodate her abilities and how it led her to a new career in interior design. Megan helps us break down some of the differences between adaptive and universal design. And you won't want to miss her tips for how to incorporate accessible design elements into every one of your projects. Let's go! Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hey, Sean. What is up, Rebecca? Uh, just another day in paradise. Uh, living the dream. Living that Corona times dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all Corona time all the time. Just it's, most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I feel, <laughs> like, I feel like it's kind of catching up to me finally, but... Um, um yeah should we just jump right in we have a good episode today so i'm gonna leave time for that i know i'm psyched to share our guest with everybody today um should i jump in yeah you go okay the fizzle of my week this week uh for those of you that have listened to episode 18 where we were talking about proposals you knew that i was ready to start experimenting with dubsado I have not used it before, Rebecca has, but um, I started to complete things in Dubsado and I got to the point where I prepared a remodel proposal for a potential new client, which was great. That part was fine, but here's the fizzle of it. In Dubsado, you create forms with things that you're gonna use frequently, like templates, so that way they can preload into future client projects faster. Well, I made the entire proposal for this remodel project in the project and not using my templates. So I then now to get like my fully built proposal and the format that I like for it, I built it all in a separate project and I didn't save it as a template. So now I have to transfer all of the work that I did in creating it over to a form and it can be done. It's just annoying that I- Did you ask them? Did I ask who what? D- did you ask Dubsado if they can do that for it you? It can be done. It Well, they won't do it for me, but I, it can be done. And they walked me through the steps of like how mm. to move it. Like basically I have to pull it out of the project 
and then pull it into my forms. So that way I can, most of my remodel projects have a similar format for the proposal and I want to keep yeah. that. Well, that was just stupid on me is learning new software is I, sh I should have gone back to the setup steps and watched their little walkthrough again and made sure that the first step would have been building it in my forms and my templates first and then importing that form onto that specific client project. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. It's just time. And the whole point of this was to save time, but I'm just chalking <laughs> it up to a really poor learning curve on my part. And it won't, it definitely won't happen again. Well, now you really know how to do it. Now, yeah. Now I'm like, hold on. Don't build it in the project. Build, build all the stuff that's supposed to save me time and make my job faster and easier. Do all that backend work first. But I just got so excited in generating that proposal in there that I skipped the step of creating my templates first so my life is easier in the future. Womp womp. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, but it is, I mean, there's lots of awful things that could have happened and that was, you know, whatever. Um on the on a nice i have to just celebrate something small um for the last three years i have been just like mentally keeping track with between quickbooks and my bookkeeper and everybody keeping track of how much sales tax i should have impounded for you know when i submit my sales tax to the state and um I feel like a big boy because I like made an appointment and went to the bank and opened a separate account to hold the sales tax impound to keep it separate from my operating account. And I just, I feel better knowing that it's already separated and that I, I feel like I don't have to spend so much time tracking how much of that balance in my operating account actually belongs to me and how much belongs to the sales tax board. Yeah, no, that's a big move. Did you like bring so. a little briefcase and <laughs> wear a little? I'm a big boy. Okay. I'm here for a big bank account. <laughs> um, no, I mean I made an appointment, and I already have my account at the bank, and they have all my documentation on file. And I, of course, have to make it complicated because of the way. Anyway, for those of you who are thinking about stuff. Um, it may not be on everyone's horizon, but like, this is like where the financial side of me comes out is that my business is technically not owned by me as an individual. It's owned by the family trust that my husband and I, um, created when we got married. And it just, from an estate planning perspective, makes it a little bit more clear cut about if something should happen to me and I can't run my business then it starts to default to the trust because our trust is the owner, which it just makes it easier that my husband could wind up operations or do, you know, handle things if something happens to me or if something happens to both of us, there are successor trustees who take over the trust and thus take over closing down my business if something happens to both of us. So that's, like in the grand plan of things important for us to make sure that I don't like, I don't want to leave anyone a shitstorm of like legal problems. If something should happen to me. Well, and they can't like access like right, funds like they'll have, or like reimburse clients or whatever. No, like they can do without it faster. A plan. See, I had, I need to go back to it. Like our house is owned by our trust, but I thought we set up our trust so that 
like everything um, pours into it yeah like automatically like we're supposedly not gonna have to make any changes to that like maybe the will but not the trust but yeah i need to actually look at that it's worth asking or having like the attorney or the state attorney just look over to make sure like will this be accommodated for if you're not sure it will but all that is to say every bank handles that differently because they want to make sure that like my trust isn't some like domestic terror organization. And so there's a little bit of extra paperwork and background checking that goes into that kind of stuff. Fortunately, they also have all that documentation on file from when I first set up the account, but um, it's actually pretty common for a lot of, a lot of family planning, estate planning and stuff like that. And I got exposed to that working at the bank where we don't have a ton of money, but it also makes it easier to manage because like, the successor trustees of our family could just decide to hire an attorney to do it. And they can, all they got to do is write and sign a letter. And then now it's a legal document. And then an attorney can take over as the trustee or um, our CPA. And I don't want to leave a big mess behind for anybody, whether it's my husband or family. That's, that was just one of the things we tried to make sure that we took care of because I'm paranoid like that for all of you that know me. (laughs) I'm even planning in the event of my death. <laughs> I have to plan all the moves figured I've out. I've planned all the moves to where all that could happen. Do you, but do you play a lot of chess? Like I feel like you'd be really absolutely good at it. not. No, I honestly <laughs> I'd rather play um, the game of life. Apparently, because <laughs> there's more strategic moves in real life than in a game. But but the the sizzle of it is. I have my sales tax impound account it. set up. It's there and the money is separated. And when it comes time to make the payments, the money's already separated and I've not added it in with anything. And I don't have to create mental separations of the money for myself anymore. Awesome. So big boy bank account. Big boy banker. (laughs) (laughs) My fizzle, we weren't going to talk about this because we're not supposed to talk about how the sausage is made when we are trying to Uh show a professional front. I'm just going to say, speaking of doing work over again, our beautiful guest today had an had our interview with us when we recorded with her except we got 20 minutes in and we were really going and i looked had not pushed record on zoom that's the first time out of like more 20 uh, times we've done this and it's never happened so please stop beating yourself up about it i just gotta get it out there so i know i know the interview you're gonna hear is it's really good because we <laughs> practiced it first <laughs> <laughs> we had a re- we had a dress rehearsal we really did and megan yeah. was so sweet and accommodating thank god and thank you megan you are amazing i know and that was sean, really like awesome. this she puts didn't... sean really out of his comfort zone <laughs> like i was just a you hot guys know. but i i feel i don't want to toot my own horn but i I didn't feel freaked out when it happened. I was just like, well, okay, well, we're going to have, we got to record at some point and we got to keep going. And I think part of it helped that we had a little bit of some buffer time 
between our guests schedule and our schedules and we weren't like we weren't like right up against a hard line that that would have caused a lot of anxiety I think for everybody and it was nice yeah and Megan's like such flexible. a chill person and like yeah like she, she was ready to sit down with us for like a Joe Rogan four-hour podcast or something <laughs> know, like and we're here for some of that. Just today was not that day I mean, for basically, that. Basically, we session. did have that. We just didn't record <laughs> an hour of it. So um, <laughs> so that was a real That's bummer. That's been, yeah, my big fear that finally came true. Yay. Um, yeah, it's like when you hit a dent on your new car and you're like, well, it's done. Like I literally do that the first day I get every car and Terry <laughs> loses his mind. Um, You're like, oh, I should parallel park against this really big curb with my brand new car. A hundred percent. I I parked by this brick wall and opened my door. Scraped my rims like within minutes of getting my last car. Um, <laughs> I'm totally sure driving was, down the road. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oops, my bad. Anyway. Should I leave a note? <laughs> I totally paused. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so Sizzle. I just got back from being away at my client's cabin in the mountains for three days, which was fantastic because, because I got to finally launch this workshop that I've been wanting to do. So, yeah. yeah. It's been something that I've been talking about and thinking about and all just like the execution part, part of it is just kind of a lot. So I got it out there. It's going well. People are really gravitating towards it. So I feel good. It's good to not just like talk about things and have ideas, but to actually do them. So I feel sizzly. It's going to be really great. I'm excited to see how it goes and... I'm following along just because I think it's great that you experiment with the way that you can help potential clients. And I love that you're trying to find a way to meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really kind of what it was born, born from. Like I get a lot of requests from clients that I just can't service properly um, with what they need. So we'll right. see. Hopefully it'll be something that I can continue to do as just like a portion of my offerings for listeners that are looking you can look on rebecca's instagram highlights where she's kind of sharing more about it for her workshop and it's really it's directed towards clients this is not directed towards designers yeah and i like you know i like to have my hands in different things so i'm trying to be strategic about that like honor my sevenness that needs a lot of different shiny objects but Mm -hmm. make sure each object makes sense and services the whole strategy. Totally. Speaking of having a lot of different business ideas and liking to explore, like that's a lot what we talked about with Megan today. So I think we should just jump right in. Let's do it. Our guest today is Megan Blau, owner and lead designer at Blue Copper Design in Phoenix metro area of Arizona. Megan has a fascinating journey into interior design. After incurring a spinal cord injury in 2009, Megan's personal journey of adapting her first home to be wheelchair-friendly catapulted her into the world of interior design. In 2018, she started Blue Copper Design 
to share her optimistic perspective and elevate the world of adaptive design. We love following Megan's fearless approach to life and her beautiful designs on Instagram. Welcome, Megan. Hi, guys. Thank you. Hi, Megan. <laughs> Hi, so, ha- so happy to have you here. Thanks, Thanks for, for joining. Me. So excited. We'd love it if you could share with us a little bit about your background and education and how you started Blue Copper. So to start like kind of at the beginning, in 2009, I broke my neck and got a spinal cord injury from it. So I am a quadriplegic. Um, I was 17 when it happened and I dove into a swimming pool, hit the bottom, rest is history. And I guess it's a really common thing. Like when it first happened, I was like, who does this? Because I also was a swimmer growing up and the mm-hmm. lifeguard at the time. Like I was like an active oh, wow. lifeguard. Um, and like, you know, like diving into pools was really common for me. I get that question all the time. And it's like, wasn't there a no diving sign? Like, wasn't it shallow? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but I dove into four foot pools every day of my life mm-hmm. for like 10 years. And, you know, just this time yeah. it just didn't work out. So, um, so yes, so that is why I'm in a wheelchair. Um, that journey of recovery was long and fun. (laughs) It really actually was fun in the end. Um, but in the beginning it was rough. Um, it was, I was 17, like I said, and then I just graduated high school, like two weeks before it happened. So I spent the whole summer in the hospital. I had plans to go to college up at NAU in the fall, but that didn't work out. So I stayed home with my parents for like an extra year. Um, just recovering, like after I got out of the hospital. So going to like Pete, like uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy. I think I had therapy like almost every day, some kind of therapy and, um, just like focusing on letting my body heal for Mm. a solid year. Um, and then after that first year, I kind of started like doing more activities and trying to plan out my life a little bit more into the future, like a little bit more normally, I guess. Um, yeah. So then, so I, was injured in July. And then that next August, I went to ASU, lived on campus, um, got my bachelor's degree in environmental science. So not interior design. Um, I didn't even think of interior design as a career at that time. And while I was going to school, I was also working uh, at Lululemon, just like a fun little job but it turned into like a little bit more than that. I ended up staying there for like almost four years, I think. And towards the end was working on their visual merchandising team. And I was heading the visual merchandising team there and like completely fell in love with that whole creative process. Like I was starting to not really like my job, but then visual merchandising saved me. (laughs) And then I only (laughs) wanted to go to work if I was like redoing the clothes racks. Um, Yeah, that was super fun. And then so, so, that was happening in my life. I was in college simultaneously. Um, my boyfriend and I, we were buying a house together to move in with each other. He's my husband now. And, um, I knew like any house that we chose obviously was going to need renovations, like to accommodate my wheelchair and how I needed to live, like, especially kitchens and bathrooms, like Mm -hmm. they have to be different. Um, so I was, 
barely going to college, but going to college and then working in visual <laughs> merchandising, being creative and then coming home and like heading up this renovation. Like I was like, I can do it. Like I know exactly what I want. Um, one of our friends was a contractor. So he worked with us and I would explain to him all of my ideas in, um, I remember him being like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, this isn't what I normally do, you know? And I'm like, no, trust me, like, it's going to be great. Um, and I was like- Was I it just, stuff that's specific to to how you needed to function in the home and he just didn't know what you were trying aesthetics. to communicate? Or was it aesthetically, like, the design direction? It was both, yeah. It was both. Okay. It was a lot of, like- I was doing all of the work, all of the problem solving, all of the sourcing, and then just being like, can you do it? Can you just do this? And he'd right. be like, well, I don't do that. And I'm like, no, but you do, like, I promise. He's you like, could oh. do this. You can put this yeah. together. You can yeah, figure like, this out. Like, say, I just, like, need you to do it. Um, but, at, like, towards the end, he, he just, like, learned to trust me because everything was working out, which was great. Um, I mean, good yeah. for his resume to have yeah. done something different and pushed his comfort zone further, which is like, can always depend on designers to push yeah. <laughs> vendors, contractors, clients, everybody I've to do something up, really different. Yes, I've been pushing since that project. I've just been pushing people out of their comfort zone. And I love that guy to death. Like he is such a good family friend of ours now. Um, he doesn't really do residential anymore. He has like some really big contracts. So unfortunately I can't use him as a contractor, but that's okay. okay. So call him for like uh, questions and stuff. Um, but it was my biggest um, request was like, I just don't want it to look like someone in a wheelchair lives here. Mm -hmm. And oh. saying that, I mean, you could take, like it wasn't because I was ashamed or anything. It was just because there's more to me than that. Mm -hmm. I was like, I, I don't need my house to look like a hospital. I don't need it to revolve around the aesthetics, at least to revolve around my disability or, you know, like how right. I live my life now. Like there is a way, I know there's going to be a way to make this look intentional and to make it look beautiful. Um, so that was my mission on that. Person. And part of that is a reflection on like the vendors need to pick it up. Like, I know there's a couple now that are offering different finishes on grab bars and things, but yeah, like this whole like idea of not looking like you live in a hospital or you're a sick person, like you're not, like mm -hmm. you should be able to have beautiful finishes on every item in your home. Yeah, absolutely. Another obstacle I had with him too, and then other subs that he was working with was like following the ADA guidelines when the, I'd be like, okay, well, we're going to do this. And he would be like, well, the ADA says that you need this. And I was like, no, I'm telling you, I don't need that. So uh, as much as I love the ADA and I think that it has progressed um, civil rights in the disabled community so much, it does, it has its time and place and residential for like individual design may not be the time and place. Um, they're great guidelines. They are great, like, references, um, great, like, ballpark, like, uh, like starting like, points almost. Yeah, starting points. Yeah. If you're well, like, because well, they're, they're created for everyone in every possible scenario where you're trying to adapt to your specific needs, which, right. like, a power wheelchair has different needs than a sports wheelchair. Like, all of the sizing is different in the. Absolutely. And everybody lives differently too. Mm -hmm, so, right. so that was actually like the biggest, probably the biggest hurdle is that they were trying to push me into like 
just let's make this ADA. And I was like, no, 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 because my space doesn't work that way. And I don't need that. So let's just right. scratch that from your mind. <laughs> I mean, I think that's really powerful to talk about because I, I studied in a bachelor's program in interior design and we spent so much time uh, and I don't say that in like a bad way, but we spent a lot of time on accessibility standards and ADA and code compliance and all of that. And I, I think that's like the philosophy is to create the awareness, create a knowledge base, to create a, a, a certain level that everyone who finishes can like have those in mind. But also to your point to say, let's not treat that rigidly. Let's not treat that as like, oh, this is my minimum standard and I... I have to operate from there. It really goes back to, well, let's really connect in the residential side with our client mm -hmm. about what, what are their now needs and future needs and how can we accommodate and plan for those things. But it doesn't have to be this rigid approach to compliance and codes and, you know, it should complying be personalized. With ADA. Like every residential right. home should be personalized to the people living there and they get to decide and and even yeah. more important why ada codes aren't something that building inspectors look at in residential design because it's just there's a way that it needs to be formed to what is best for the client and what works for them versus in a commercial environment where it's not just one person using it all the time right exactly exactly so that i mean getting that talking that out with contractors is is super important and that was probably the most important part of that renovation so that renovation on my first home oh it's always gonna have like such a good spot in my heart it yeah. took me nine months so it was like a literal baby and i had no idea what i was doing <laughs> you know like now if, if that project took me nine months i'd be mortified <laughs> as a professional yes. designer but as a girl i mean i think i was 21 at the time as a girl who was just trying to like piece it together and, you know, source things myself and just spend my free time, you know, it's kind of a hobby, I guess, more of at that point. Um, yeah, it took me nine months to do the bathroom and then a bunch of stuff in the main room and things and then the kitchen, but the bathroom and the kitchen were the two biggest things. So it's like a boot, it's a boot camp, what you did. Like yeah, you did an extensive, boot. like mm -hmm. educational boot camp to put you through everything you needed to learn and finding resources and it's a ton of a ton of intense learning that goes into it. Meanwhile, you're the, have the pressure of well, we don't want to live in a construction site and oh. keep going through this. Like, oh yeah, and I did, and I did not have a kitchen. I think for like six of those months, so I also gained mm. like twenty pounds because of eating out. <laughs> wow. Oh my That's god, what happens I would, during like, renovating. It was horrible. It would, like it would be it would have been a disaster looking at it from an interior design standpoint. But at the time, it was awesome. Like, and I just loved every minute of it. And even though like living that way and doing that was so stressful like we moved our bed into like every part of the home while they were working like they would work over on that side and then we would move it to the other side and then you know, <laughs> like and then at one point it was like on the floor in the living room like with our sofa and my <laughs> husband got he was so excited he was like this is awesome it was like our sofa and then the bed and then the tv like our whole living room was just cushions and I was like, Chris, we are not living this way. He's like, yeah, we are. Like, such, like, a dude, you know? And I was like, ew, no. Like, oh, my God. That's like, also, oh. like, that sunken living room, yeah. like, oh, 60s, yeah. 70s swinger pad. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, that's no. what that turned into. Like, Yeah. 
but it was like his like college he he didn't go to college but it was like his like college dream bachelor pad like he just wanted to like eat pizza and play video games on our bed and then like roll onto the couch I was like no 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 so that was that was a good time that was probably like a solid month of that um but yeah so that was kind of my point of life and then I just remember one day like everything clicked and I was like oh my gosh like you need to be doing design either in like a visual merchandising way or an interior design way like that is the correlation of the things that you are liking right now is the creativity and the design and the execution of that. So did a little bit of soul searching, kind of thought like, which way should I go? And I just thought interior design was more me and then also more impactful. Like I could make so much better of a difference um, doing interior design than visual merchandising. And I wouldn't get bored. (laughs) Well, and you were probably seeing how your environment affects your ability to get through your day. Like, Yes. Every moment. Absolutely. I mean, that is something that I stress to my clients now. And then other people, when they ask, like having a space that works for you, especially when you're in a more um, like cumbersome physical situation, like I'm not, I can adapt to a lot of things, but like physically I'm not, I'm just not able to adapt to a lot of things. Like if something's off, like you know, it's off. Like if I can't take a shower that day, like, okay. Like if my bed is too high and I can't transfer on it by myself, Mm -hmm. like that Uh, is a mess. Like, you know, like imagine mm -hmm. being like stuck in places. And then not only that, but like if your space is too small or not designed well for you, it also can become dangerous. Like your fall hazard could go up. Like Mm -hmm. if you're having to really like tweak your body into a place like you risk injury like there's a lot more at stake than just like making it pretty and making it look like someone in a wheelchair doesn't live there like it right it really is it benefits your lifestyle in so many ways um so throughout like this whole period from then until now I'm like it really does empower your life like when I'm comfortable I can handle a higher level of discomfort in other areas of my life or when I leave my home, you know, because I know I always have something to go back to that. Like, no matter what, like I can just, I can go home and everything works. Like I can travel Mm -hmm. for three days and put up with that high level of discomfort and then come home and have that like, okay, like this is made Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Cause your home isn't the thing stressing you out or adding anxiety or, or taking away from your like bandwidth to be able to handle other stressors from client projects or whatever it might be. You you know, you have that restorative place that you can go back to where things like in quote, like just work, even if they just need to be exactly how they can fit the way you need to function and use your home. Right. And I think that's like an important philosophy for all interior designers And that's like, sometimes I think we can get stuck in the, oh, interior design, it's just fluffy and cute pillows. Oh my God, no. It doesn't have, you know, meaning (laughs) in the world. But like, if our homes make, if your home makes you happy, then you're a happy person in society. And overall, Mm -hmm. it's better for the world. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah, I think from a functional and beautiful standpoint, like, yeah. Totally. I think, I think that everybody can benefit from a well-designed space. I do think that I realize like the stakes are higher. The stakes are higher for me and the stakes are Mm -hmm. higher for my friends and people with like more of a compromised physical body. Like it's just higher. Um, And there's no reason why they, like why we should be left out of 
great design and great function at the same time. So um, I really have, I mean, I've come to like those thoughts over quite a long time because back to that part of my interior design journey, I guess, um, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with it. I just had the idea that like, okay, you don't want to be working in retail forever and design is really like calling you right now. So let's explore that. So at that time too, my husband and I got married. Um, we got like, I don't know, wedding blues after our marriage, like after our wedding <laughs> and our honeymoon. We also honeymooned in Bora Bora because that was like, I, we like cut everything out of our wedding. I was like, I don't care. Like, I just want to go to Bora Bora. Like the honeymoon um, is the thing we need to make happen. Yeah. Who cares yeah. about whatever the food or the venue or anything else. Yeah. Like, Screw it. Yeah. If you're hungry, I mean, I don't know. Like we had plenty of food and stuff like that. But if anyone's listening, who's getting married right now, please take a honeymoon. Like I, yes. that's my one piece of advice. Like, don't wait, don't say you'll do it in a year. Like if you can do it, do it. Um, yeah. and cut part of your wedding to do it financially. So, so we had like this huge high and then we came back and we're like, Oh, like, I'm all, I don't know. We were in like a bit of a funk together. And, um, we it's a big let down. Like yeah, after we were a little let down. Like now what? Yeah, we spent a whole year excited to go to Bora Bora and get married and whatever. And, um, so it was kind of impulsive, I guess. But we were both at a crossroads in a bunch of areas of our life, and we decided to sell our home and buy a trailer. And we traveled around the country for like almost a year, like just shy of a year. So we just That's drove. So like awesome. it was just us and our two dogs, and we just we drove to Alaska. We went to every state except for Arkansas, which I know is like really bizarre. <laughs> like that's bizarre <laughs> what to miss. I mean, I don't know that you missed much, but yeah, there's one more on your list. So now you have to go at some point. Yeah, we have to now make have like to a dedicated trip yeah. to Arkansas. <laughs> it's kind of hard to get to Arkansas from Arizona. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Uh, you, you can fly, miss, but you didn't miss much. I'm just I gonna. Know, but like, you gotta, <laughs> gotta, like, we gotta get it. Um, Sorry, Arkansas <laughs> listeners, but. <laughs> Come. I've heard Hot Springs National <laughs> Park is really beautiful, and so that's where we're gonna mm -hmm. go. Like we did all like as many national parks as we could, and it was just such a. It was I would never like it was such a great experience. I would have never traded that time for any other time in the world. Did you have a plan? Um, like, did you know, like, where you were going? Really? Or we just were gonna awesome. follow the weather. Like we knew we wanted mm -hmm. to be in Alaska in August, Smart. and not somewhere in like Florida in the winter. Mm. You know, like we just, yeah, we just followed the weather really. And we didn't do it efficiently. Like we definitely like backtracked multiple times, but we just didn't care. So yeah. That's awesome. But that's part of that journey just to be able to go. Um, can I ask you just, I know I'm sure there's like lots of different experiences cause you went everywhere, but did you feel a general sense when you were traveling that most national parks or places you went to were accessible to you? Did you feel like they were built in a way that you could function normally or, or reasonably while you were going on all these trips? Yeah, that's such a great question. So when we were also for me, like I've lived in Arizona my whole life. So a little part of this trip was like, well, I, am I missing out on somewhere else? Like is there something better out there? Is there something better? Like, am I going to like it? Would I want to live anywhere else? And I didn't know. So we were like, let's go try out every place. And no, I came back to Arizona and I love it. <laughs> um, for, and then one of the biggest reasons for that is accessibility. Like it is very, very, very accessible here. And I think there's multiple reasons for that. 
Um, mm. One, our terrain is really flat, so we don't really have to build on hills. And okay. two, like it's a pretty new state, relative, you know. And yeah, a lot of the construction is like, yeah, you have thirty years, and then, but like right. a lot of new. I mean, our oldest buildings, like that, we probably even use are like built in the seventies or eighties, you know. So yeah. they were easily retrofitted um, for eighty-eight guidelines. So it, and I really got a huge taste of that by going to all other states like even California a lot mm -hmm. of hills and you know a lot of like weird parking situations and a oh lot of God, birds yeah. and older buildings and steps and things like that so um to answer your question I do think that there was still like a good amount of sex accessibility not as good as what I'm used to living here in Arizona um, right. I have been to a lot of national parks before like that's one of my loves is going to national parks and the big ones are highly accessible mm -hmm. like so great um the smaller ones you know not so much but they don't even have like park rangers so i okay. expect the woods to be accessible <laughs> like, yeah it's great when they are um but you know you got to be realistic at but it, you don't want to have to like go to a ramp around the side or the back of a, a visitor center or a building to be able to experience what everyone else is experiencing. And I feel like yeah. that's sort of like the, a lot of places that were already built prior to the Americans with Disabilities Act were kind of just having like make it work moments to figure out like where could, well, where could we put a ramp without having to like demolish a bunch of things or like where could I mean, we put access and a lot of them didn't really plan it, it just was never part of this larger strategy and then over time now I think we've seen so much changed in the way that it's incorporated into a lot of really smart planning for places now that like everyone appreciates fewer steps like parents with strollers right. appreciate that right. too and so we it's thinking about that as a holistic approach now where that's like having good design involved means that it it feels like it's like you said Megan really intentional mm -hmm. it's purposeful the way it's designed to make it that way it's to where it's not a separate way to access it or and another it's place welcoming yeah. I I think I told you this when I met you but my best friend that we met in sixth grade is has used a wheelchair her whole life and so I grew up from a very young age with this perspective of accessibility and challenges and like I was telling Sean like I've never lived in a home that she can't come to like and there's a lot like it's very easy to a have an accessible entrance to your home yeah um and she spent a year living in Belgium like 10 years to 15 years ago so we had some, I went and visited and we like spent some days in Amsterdam mm. in Belgium. You really learn about accessibility when you go to Europe. Like, yeah, you do. Holy All shit. the bathrooms like, are in the basements. Or upstairs, like a spiral <laughs> staircase. Yeah. Like I yeah. could barely get up to like, it's crazy. And I bet, I mean, I mean, her and I, like we like battled, we battled with train people, like, they would like try to make us like, you have to wait, you have to get here an hour early so we can stop the trains, we can put a ramp on. Yeah. And we're like, no. No right. way. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. 
There's a lot of it's obstacles. Crazy. Yeah, there it really is. I mean, I've done, I haven't been a lot of places in Europe, but I have gone to Sweden and they were actually really, really, really inclusive and like accommodating and accessible. It was awesome. Also like the land of Ikea and Ikea is kind of about, uh, I love Ikea. I, I, I always will. Um, but Ikea's they think about everybody. Negative. Yeah. They think about everyone. Um, well, they're the forefront of universal design, right? Like, yeah, I think it's just like embedded in their culture. But I was really surprised a lot of um, at a lot of the cities back east that I've had friends like New York City, like I have friends who live there and they're like, it's so accessible. It's so great. Like, it's a great place to live when you're in a wheelchair. Um, in my opinion, false. Like, no. Are they in, are these people in wheelchairs though? Yes, yes. And they're saying that? Their whole life, yes. Here oh my was gosh. my um, opinion of like in Boston, to me, Boston and New York were like horrible, like having to go through the back of buildings, through like the yes. kitchen of restaurants to get in yeah. or like through weird hallways to get into a store or something. It was, it was bizarre. And, like, and, like, like transfers on the trains are broken. Yes, subway. Yeah. You yeah, got to go four stops. Subway all the time. I didn't even mess with the subways because one, I am a suburban girl from Arizona and I've never been on a subway. And I was like, I'm going to get trapped down here. I do not understand this map. So we just yeah. took cabs. But, um, and then no, I think it's like every seven stops or something, they have a, they have an elevator. I'm like seven stop. You have to yes. wait seven stops. So yep. that's insane. And then you could be broken. Like, it, and it's a very a high chance that it could get broken. Like it could be broken. Absolutely. Um, so, and I'm not like, I'm not saying that on like a rant because I, if my friends who live in New York think it's accessible, I'm like, you're way harder than I am, like for <laughs> sure. But what the difference was is I felt on the East Coast, I felt very much like she's in a wheelchair, like get the ramp, like to make her get in so we're accessible. Like, like make way, very, we need to help her. Yeah, like I felt very like singled out. I felt very like pointed out. Like I felt very much like, oh, I am disabled because I have to go through this weird way. Where in Arizona and other parts of the country that are newer, it, I'm just a part, like I don't have to, I'm not special. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just and you're independent and you're life. just like being able yeah. to just live your life. Yeah. yeah. So I felt very much like in New York, I'm like, well, where's the little wheelchair sign with the arrow like, telling me where I need to go? Because I'm right. different than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that is not the level of accessibility that I would like to see in the future. I understand it now. Like I am very understanding and I know that um, especially now there's like an ableism movement and I'm actually like not really in a total agreement with that. Like, I personally view the ADA as like they have, we have made a lot of progress in 30 years. Like this year is the 30th anniversary of the ADA and in my life and even in Arizona from people that I, who've come before me, like, um, I know yeah. someone who is probably, she's probably in her seventies now, maybe sixties and she's in a wheelchair and she's a nurse and she got her nursing degree at ASU, like back in the seventies. And wow. she had to get carried up a flight of stairs multiple times a day to get into her classes. And like back, like I hated school. Like I would have never asked someone to carry me up a flight of stairs to get mm -hmm. to school. Like I just would have mm -hmm. never happened. And so for me to be able to like go to ASU and I don't have to deal with that, you know, like to me, that's progress. That's a huge level of progress in less than someone's lifetime. So that's right. the way that I like to look at it. Um, obviously there's always room for growth and um, improvement. 
and you know that needs to kind of be taken on my in my opinion on like an individual local basis as well like I don't I don't feel like I have a lot of say into like fighting for New York to be more accessible because I've been there one time, you know, like I didn't take notes. I don't know what needs to be changed over there, but the people who live there, like hopefully, you know, they can do that for themselves. I think it's an attitude adjustment to like, okay, I understand like historical buildings, it's going to be really tough. Yeah. But there's also the let's not make you feel like you're causing some sort of disruption. It should be more like they should be stumbling over themselves apologetic that their situation is not accommodating. Yeah, and, and in the most part, like, uh, people do, people are very apologetic towards me. Like I've heard horror stories, but in, like in my experience, I really haven't had a lot of horror stories. Like I've been super fortunate for that. I also think I, what I project is what I get back. Like I'm, yeah. I'm very understanding, I'm very accommodating, but I'm also firm. Um, and I expect mm-hmm. that from other people too. But I, I think, from that point is just like where we started only 30 years ago to where we are today is such a great improvement. And I don't want that ever to get lost. It doesn't discredit the work that needs to be done with the ADA and commercial buildings and things like that. But um, in my opinion, it's part of my responsibility as a disabled person too, to like speak up and say what I need and tell people what needs to happen. Because if you don't have my perspective, how are you going to know? You know, like I'm the one who needs to like start making noise. Like my new thing is um, in Arizona, sometimes like the handicap stalls, they put the door like the, so it swings the wrong way. Like the hinges are backwards. The door should open out Mm -hmm. because if it opens in, sometimes you can't close the door. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're like squeezed up against the toilet or like. Yeah. Like trying to get the door closed. And I cannot right. tell you how many times I've gone pee with the door open. I'm just like, hey, like, whatever. Like, <laughs> shut oh your God. face. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I mean, but, not, you know, it's just like, that's not something, that's not something that someone would, I mean, I can bet you that there are so many millions and millions of people who have never thought they've used that stall and never thought the hinges are wrong. Like, right. so many people without a disability have well, never they thought be twice using about the stall it. A. But well, true. if it's if it is, yeah. If there are other options open, available, yeah. Please don't camp out in it. That will be another PSA. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to put your makeup on or answer texts or like just cry. Like, pick a different stall, please. Or if there's a <laughs> line, you're not next for that stall. I am. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Unless, so many yeah. horror stories. But like in my like, so there's been restaurants that now like I kind of have a little list in my head where I'm like I need to tell the manager because I do mm-hmm. feel like if I told the manager like hey like I just need you to I want you to know like your hinges are just backwards and that's yeah. a super easy fix and this is how it affects me. Yes. <laughs> um, who wouldn't be like oh my gosh I'm sorry I'll get I'll try to get that fixed you know like yeah. it, like it we just, I come here all the time. Or... No. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know. So that's how I have approached accessibility in my life, in my business, and then just on a personal level. Like I, I do, I do take the responsibility on gratefully. And I, and I hope that other people with disabilities speak up for what's important to them. You know, like this is an important topic to me. Other things regarding my disability may be, may not, like I can't even think of one, but like I get so excited when I hear other people in my disabled community like starting businesses and like getting their voice out there and like starting clothing lines because they feel like there's not 
good enough clothes for them. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. And that is what I want to see more of. So. And well-designed. Like, I think your voice and perspective is also like going to be helpful to companies. Like make your shit cute. Like why Mm -hmm. does everything look like, look goes into a hospital like that's why is it all stainless steel and like why? big and bulky <laughs> and yeah chunky flanges on everything yeah. and it's not hard to make it's stuff commercial like it's the exact same thing that goes into a commercial restroom. Right. like like i'm thinking about like the soup restaurant and i'm just like all this stuff's ugly like it's all it's gross and like the sink pipes all have those weird sleeves on them that are gross looking and like look dingy and it's just like yeah like it it functionally does the job but it's not aesthetically pleasing and it doesn't make you feel like you're in an elevated environment which then can start to eat away at some of your like self-worth and self-esteem to feel like good design we deserve nice places we deserve clean spaces and they should be something that are really well considered so there's this like lack of it i i noticed a lack of some of it just recently because my my dad had several small strokes he still has a lot of ability but i realized how even challenges in my own home hadn't been considered but i i was like okay i'm really grateful that i have all my walkways like i thought about that when we bought the house that i want really sufficient walkway space and like Mm -hmm. good clearance and you know things like that but you really don't realize sometimes until you need some level of accommodation what's really missing from the environment and and you and we're still making updates because now that my my dad has regained a lot of independence in a very short period of time and he'll be visiting from his house in arizona out to california but I'm like, oh, there's definitely some stuff that's on my list of, I don't want to end up in a situation where he doesn't have everything he needs anytime he comes to visit my house. Like that, that should not be something he has to think about of like, well, now I don't want to come or I don't want to put people out of their way because I need an extra handlebar or I need, you know, an, more, more room to move in a certain room or a space. I don't want him to feel like we are putting ourselves out to do it. Um, because that just will be something he won't ask for. He won't tell me that because he'll feel bad for needing that. In even in his son's own home, he doesn't want to be the person to speak up and ask for it and make people feel bad for what he needs. And he shouldn't have to worry about that. Yeah. No. I I think having that perspective of your dad is so. It touches on that this is not a small community. Like, mm-hmm. in, I know for sure in Arizona, there are 12% of our population is considered disabled. And I think it's something wow. like 10% in the country. That's not a small group of people. Oh my God, and no. Not- Rebecca and you both know somebody who has physical differences, physical challenges, a disability, however they relate to it. Um, right. And, you know, as an empathetic person or someone who wants their dad over or their friend over, like this also affects you. So it's not just the 10%, the 12% of people, um, it's all of the people that they know as well. And that number gets big, you know, Mm -hmm. that number gets huge. And it doesn't mean that, Rebecca, you need your home to be completely set up the way that your friend would need to. But there are things in 
mind that would make her visit to you comfortable and in a way that like you would want to accommodate her and just like what you said Sean like there's also so much emotion around a disability too because some people are born with it and some people incur it over their life and some people it progresses I mean MS is a huge one that Mm -hmm. I get a lot of clients with MS that they you know they've dealt with their disability for a while maybe it's to a certain point and they know like okay this is kind of a turning point for me and my life from here on out is going to be different than it was previously mm-hmm. um and that's just a whole different set of challenges and kind of planning for the future hey sean have you signed up for the Hot Young Designers Club newsletter? Oh, no. Really? Is this you not wanting to clutter your inbox with a lot of excess junk? No, no. Let me do it. Where do I need to go? You need to go to hotyoungdesignersclub.com. Scroll down till you get to the subscribe button. Just pop in your email address and your name. All right. I'm doing it right now. Is this going to be a bunch of spam? It's not. It's actually not going to be anything until we actually get around to sending something. But we have big plans and we want to be able to send surveys to get feedback from our audience. And maybe once in a while, a special surprise or a recap. All right. I'm on it. Thank you. Back to the show. Back to like the emotional part of it. I mean, there's a it's a lot it's a lot of emotional and mental things to deal with and then on top of that sean like your dad would have to quote put you out or deal with that emotion of asking you for what he needs and that's sometimes that's just too hard for people at certain stages absolutely well like you were saying before like i'd rather just not go to college than have somebody carry me up the step like that is like most people wouldn't want to do that like And I mean, that was like it's a testament for her. Like she was, you know, a badass and she wanted to be a nurse and she, Committed, wanted, to be there. Yeah. she wanted to be there. And if I wanted to be somewhere, of course I would do that. I didn't, school was not the place that I was going to be at. <laughs> right. Maybe the bar, but like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe like, I don't know if they had steps up to like restoration hardware or something, someone can carry up there. I don't know. But like, <laughs> we're not going to school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so it is, it's just such a huge, a huge thing. Do you think that this gives you like a common ground to, I mean, because you work with, with clients who have, um, you know, that, that have different physical abilities or, or don't have those concerns at all on their horizon. Um, do you feel like this is, it puts you in a place to be more empathetic and have a common ground to approach clients about? various design needs not just around the way that their home adapts to their abilities yeah absolutely like I feel like when someone says that they want something or need something I listen because it's more uh, I take it from my perspective too like it's important to them if they're going to take the time to tell me that Mm -hmm. um and then also anticipating anticipating maybe things that they didn't know that they mm-hmm. wanted or needed which I think any yeah. good designer does too but I think my perspective does heighten that for me personally like if this if this was, wasn't my situation um I don't know if I would have that same level of like 
actually, I see your life and I see it this way, or you're telling yeah. me your life is this way. And I think this would be the best for you. And here is why. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think, um, I know you guys had Anastasia Casey on with yeah, the nice. identity collective and I'm going to shout her out because she said one of the nicest things to me, she was like, I love how you've made your disability your superpower. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I need to use that girl. Like, of course yes. you're in marketing, but I was like, it is, it is my superpower. And, um, you know, it's taken, I've had my company for two years now. And even within those two years, like the first year I was working for, um, a different company, I guess. And I wasn't fully like into my own business. I was like mm -hmm. trying to do half and half, but it was really like 80, 20. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, they that, always get, someone else always gets the bigger part of you. Right. I was like, Oh yeah, I can do it. Like it sounded like a cool opportunity at the time and it just ended up not working out. So, um, I really only been like full 100% full-time committed to my company for a year now. And, oh, wow. um, yeah, wow. I, I like have to imagine that too. Cause I'm like, okay, well I've had it for two years, but the first year, like you really didn't do anything. I don't even know if I had a client. Like I think I maybe had one client. Um, and you know, this year is obviously a lot different, but, um, yeah. yeah. So even like dealing with my own emotions around my disability, my niche, and then my clients, like it's been, I mean, the whole two years has been a roller coaster. And then this year has been like a roller coaster with the COVID roller coaster. So I'm like in a huge blender. Yeah. If no, we could just, all like, just get off the loops. Yeah. I don't like loop to loops on my roller coaster. coasters. Me neither. Yeah. I'm like terrified of roller coasters now I too. too. Like in my, in my old ripe age of almost 29, I'm like going to be <laughs> <laughs> the mom who like sits at the like I'm not yeah. I'll wait for you guys go have fun yeah. I'll hold your drinks no, <laughs> <I won't. laughs> so, you know, like, they do have like accessible roller coasters and stuff like you yeah yeah like you can definitely if you're in a wheelchair and you're listening like you can definitely get on roller coasters I choose not to um, Disneyland so, has made it so much better because like yeah. I used to like I grew up right next door to Disneyland basically and so Alicia, my friend and I, we would go every, you know, five times a year. They used to have to stop the ride. Like they'd have to stop Space Mountain. Everyone would be stopped in the middle of the ride so she could transfer and get in. Then they yeah. started again. And now they have but like now they have like, tracks. it like comes out, like you mm -hmm. can get in yeah. and then like zoom in. Yeah. They've really made it better. Yeah. So much progress. Like I think that stuff needs to be celebrated. Those are not small feats. Accessible roller coasters are not small feats. Like that's amazing. Except that's we used to not have to wait in line, and now we do. I know. Now yeah, do. yeah. <laughs> but that's an that's an emotional wait too. Of like, oh, if I'm gonna go on this ride, they have to stop it for everyone. So then, oh you, yeah, it's like you getting over that emotional hurdle of like, well, I'm inconvenience everyone because of me now, and it's right. just like that should never have to be on anyone's horizon. That should right. that just should not have to be that way where you have to think oh, I'm putting so many other people out because of what I want to do or what I need to do. Because in many cases, it's boiled down to the needs. Like, oh, well, I have, to go to the, I have to go to this store or I need to get something for my home. And it's just, that should not be out there. Um, and so that's good that we're like focusing on the progress of, great, how do we make it feel like it's even less of that? Disney's probably really good to highlight because they're always trying to focus on experience mm -hmm. and and that they don't that level of it it's not just the it's not just the inclusion but it's also is that even a good experience for the person 
who needs to then go on, who wants to go on the ride or go in store or enjoy like a guest experience there. Like at everyone's the having the same experience. They, yeah. And they yeah. want that. They don't want this to be like, well, you got like Disney light. Like they want right. you to have the full, <laughs> it's the full experience Disney that you got plus. because of it. Yeah. <laughs> they want you to have all of it. So they yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. And Can, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm just really appreciative towards, you know, those companies that take that into consideration. So, and, and, you know, I, I see that there's going to be a lot of progress in, in my lifetime, you know, I mean, I'm excited. Like I look at this in a very, like, there's so much untapped potential here. Like, Oh, that's exciting. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Like the ADA only being 30 years old. Like, I mean, I think back to that and I mean, I was in high school. I mean, okay. I was hashtag old, but <laughs> I mean, no, we're hot. We're hot and young. Damn it. <laughs> I, <laughs> you guys, I'm going to be halfway to 90 tomorrow. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> Stop. Um, not really, but, um, but yeah, like, I mean, I, like I was a almost grown person and <laughs> these rules were like, it was okay to just not have accessible anything or yeah yeah we're only a portion of a generation into some of this now so yeah yeah i know a portion if you if anyone wants like a good documentary um crip camp on netflix is oh i've been meaning to watch that we should link to that in the show notes it'll make you cry for sure so to be warned but um it's it was great and i learned so much and they like just there's a lot of video of people in their struggles like not that long ago 70s and 80s mm-hmm. and like it, I'm so grateful that those people existed so that now my life can be like focused on becoming an interior designer and not mm-hmm. focused on like getting into a grocery store like I'm just I am appreciative so that that's where my perspective is and I like to keep it there um you know there's obviously a lot of problems but I think that we can deal with those you know in in a positive way so as best as possible yeah yeah i'm curious how what how you would define the difference between adaptive and universal design yeah so adaptive design to me um i kind of have three different levels of design definitions adaptive design would be something like my personal home. Like I'm going to adapt my home for myself, not really a lot of guidelines. And this is my personal definition. I don't really know if there is a definition of adaptive design to be honest, but that's kind of what it is. Um, then the next level from that would be ADA design. Obviously that has a definition. Those have guidelines. You can find them or learn about them wherever. And then there's another, um, higher tier, I guess, of like inclusion, inclusive design called universal design and the goal of universal design is to best is to best design for all persons who are either Mm -hmm. going it's for products and spaces so for either Mm -hmm. for all persons who are going to use a product or use a space Um, and that's pretty much it and there's a lot of gray area and a lot of like opinion and a lot of um objectiveness into that definition but i think it's meant to be there so that designers and architects can really like fit that best to what they're trying to do what Mm -hmm. they're trying to design so it's kind of like taking ada and then like multiplying it times 10 
ADA plus. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's like international. Like that's like going back to IKEA. Like why all their pamphlets don't have words on them and right. like everything is like it's pictograph or... and symbols mm-hmm. that yeah. anybody can understand. And hopefully, <laughs> yeah, well, the pictures are hard. <laughs> yeah, some really of the hard. pictures. You, I'm just the guy. The outline of the guy who looks confused and he's yeah. like ah. Um, that's, that happens a lot. And then that picture is always like, call our phone number for help. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, darn, no. I'm always the guy that puts the screw where it says, don't do it this direction. And, and then you have to take direction. it back apart four steps later. And and... <laughs> I'm putting it together backwards. Uh, Every uh, like, oh, that's why that was important. Okay. Whoops. Yeah. Why do I have four extra at the end? Um, <laughs> like so you this is good you're bringing up like how do we adapt our own homes or how are we thinking of built environments but if you are there things that you would say that you incorporate a lot into your designs to make them more accessible for your clients that would be easy adaptions for a lot of my, like the reason I asked is a lot of my clients aren't necessarily thinking of their home as their forever home but some are and others are also thinking, I want my house to be appealing if I'm going to sell it to someone else one day that there are thoughtful considerations for people with other abilities. Are there things or that you feel like- aging in place, which has yeah, a lot of overlap, yeah. Like, would right. there be some high hit stuff that you're like, here are some things that aren't going to make your home so specific to someone with disabilities, but also just makes it easy for everyone? Absolutely. And that was a huge consideration in my first home and the current home I live in too. Cause I was like, these are not my forever home. These are like my less than five year homes. And I need okay. to sell this home. Like I'm not, you know, I'm also here to make a profit on my real estate investments and not yes. just like, yeah, Get that, that equity. Yeah, <laughs> I love equity. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, so my number one, um, if you, I'm just going to go through my number ones. Um, roll in showers with at least a, with a 30 inch door at least 28, but a 30 inch opening or a door. Um, Perfect. A lot of wheelchairs can get in there. And this is where a difference is like ADA says that 36 inches is, should be your doorways and openings. And that's a pretty big door. Like a 36 inch door is huge. To have the swing Um, out for that is really massive. It's really massive. And so a lot of spaces can't accommodate that, which is, which is a little overkill. 30 inches gets in a lot of manual wheelchairs. And even if someone uses a power chair, most of the time their shower chair is smaller than a power chair. So oh. a 30 inch door is a great option or, or opening or whatever you're going to do, but something without a lip, something without a curb. Um, I feel like that's a really easy transition. And if you were, if you were already doing a bathroom remodel, instead of putting a curb up there, right. a lot of the time you can just eliminate the curb and slope your drain. Um, even with post-tension slabs, if you have a good contractor, if you have a good plumber, if you have a good tile guy, they can make it work. Um, so that's that, good feedback. Maybe, yeah, maybe you need to build up a shower pan and then just the opening doesn't have a curb, something. Mm-hmm. But I would try to have a zero entry into at least like one shower in a home. So good. Um, that's my number one. My my number two is doorways and hallways. Like especially in California, sometimes your guys' houses get a little weird. Like in Arizona, oh, yeah. we have a lot of track homes. So it's a lot of like copy paste, cookie cutter, which, you know, right. it works. So, um, but yeah, some of your guys' older homes have like weird little hallways, weird little doorways, like bathroom doors. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. What happened in the seventies where- Why were all of them so tiny? Bathroom doors. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know no. what that is. No. They don't work for anybody here either, though. No, they're like, horrible. I don't so, know what that was in like post-war and everything. Like even a lot of mid-century homes, just it's you're like, wait, all the other doors are like these nice double doors or big French window. Yeah. And like, and then all of a sudden you get to the bathroom or a powder room and it's a 22 inch door or an awkward size. And you were like, I guess nobody planned on anybody needing any space at all to like <laughs> ever like, to, to even bring in new installed items into those rooms is really hard because the doors are small, let alone a person needing more space. Yeah. So I would look at your doorways and see if there's any that you could make even a couple inches bigger. Um, yeah. I know like 30 inch doors, what I said for the shower, 27 is like the smallest that I'll put in a residential home. Um, okay. 30 inches is great or 32 but 20, you can get away with 27. If you have, if you don't have a lot of room, like at least get to 27. Um, that's what I would look into. And then if you have any like stairs, if you have like a step down into your living room or a step up into your hallway or a step down into your bedroom, I know this is much higher on the renovation list, but what would it take to level out your house, mm -hmm. level out your foundation? Because all of these things, one, larger doors, in my opinion, look more luxurious to anybody mm -hmm. if you can handle it. So try to see if that can work out or at least fix them into like the majority of your home if you were to have someone visiting. So is at least one bathroom accessible? Is at least one bedroom accessible? And then is like the living room area, like where I'd want to entertain, are those accessible? Mm -hmm. um, and then, so that would be, you know, that's a win-win for everyone. Like, everyone can get their stuff in through the door and it looks better in my opinion um two like i have not really met anyone who likes to have a lot of steps in their home like up and down like one or two steps like to me they're like a hazard for anyone especially if you like tripping hazard you always yeah. miss them yes. you always even in friends homes that i like grew up basically like grew up in where mm -hmm. they had like one step down into a den or a living room or something you always miss it at some point and then you're like, my life flashed before my eyes as I like fell forward or slipped back or it's, it, it like will little always kids, be a It's like a whole hazard. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Dogs, I'm sure it's just a nightmare. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I would personally, if you have the time and money, I would look into that. I think it would be a good investment all around. Um, and then obviously like, I think rolling showers, curbless showers, zero en entry, whatever you call it. I think those also are just better for everyone. I think they're more luxurious and they look better too. So mm -hmm. I don't see a downside with any of these options. Um, another one that I recommend to my clients all the time, which is a lot easier and doesn't require renovation is investing in like a smart home system. So it could just be as simple as an Alexa. And then you have like all of your, my Alexa might come off now, but like <laughs> you have like all of your light hey, girl. Yeah. Right. You might have, you have all of like your lights up on her or like that sounds weird, but she controls your lights. She can control like your appliances, like uh, getting into. So you're not having to move to switches as often. To, yeah. Mm -hmm. You're not having to move to switches as often. Um, like my range hood is a smart hood. So oh my like, God. Yeah. That's like on, six like, feet oh, off the ground. How am I supposed to reach that? Like yeah. get a smart hood, you know, you have mm -hmm. someone else to have the robots do it for you. Like if a robot can do it. That's great. And obviously there's a lot like more involved things than like a Alexa or Google home or something. But, um, 
always invest in that. I think like if you're laying in bed and you need your lights turned off or like lights turned on or there's like endless possibilities that what those can do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think automation is uh, uh, something that I, from the very beginning of my career, clients were asking about some some level, whether it was audiovisual or whether it was security based or otherwise, but it just, you want to remove as much as you can things that add to daily annoyance. And you think, oh, it's no big deal. That switch is only seven feet away. But yeah, if you were in a, if you're in a chair or moving takes you longer or there's risk involved, you know, I think about like my dad, I'm like, yeah, the fewer steps he has to take, the less risk there is that something else will happen, you know, to limit even further ability. Mm-hmm. And so if we can use our t- the technology to our advantage, that's what we can, that's something we can advocate for as designers to our clients is mm-hmm. this is, let's just plan for it. Even if you don't want the robot overlord to like do everything for you, yeah. <laughs> we can, we can limit some of that and automate what we can and make things easier for you. Um, and, and build in the capability because it's so much harder to add some of that after a remodel. But while we're planning electrical and planning systems for a house, we can still incorporate a lot of stuff. Right. Absolutely. So I think that's an in more easy one that just takes, you know, a little learning curve getting over. Um, yeah. And then I guess the, I mean, the biggest like final one would be points of entry. So just to have one accessible point of entry and Mm -hmm. even like a little threshold, even a little curb that is typical for, you know, front doors or garage doors or your back door, um, zeroing that out. So whether you do that with concrete pavers, or even if you do have a friend, like just invest in a little portable ramp or a little Mm -hmm. threshold thing that you can remove if you don't want to make that investment into you know, mm-hmm. concrete or labor. Um, they're like 30 bucks on Amazon or, you know, depending on what you need, like 30 right. to $100. And just like keeping that in your shed or your garage or something. Why don't I have one? You're right. Yeah. Yeah, Rebecca, you have- own, I can send you a link. Yeah. They're super Cause, easy. Because like, I think you know she she's adopts- coming. She adapts so well that she has right. like a lot of workarounds, but I'm making her work harder to get into my house. And that is like such a true story for a yeah. lot of people in chairs, especially people who have been in chairs for a long time or their whole life. They're just like, well, I'm okay because they're so good at adapting and they're mm-hmm. so good at muscling and like getting themselves into where they need to be. And it's like, no, like we can live better than this. We can live easier than this because another thing is just like the wear and tear over time. Like my arms are my legs and my arms are not meant to be my legs. Like I need to take better care of my body and my arms. I'm at a higher risk for a bunch of things already. Um, Mm. I don't need to put myself in precarious situations to increase that. Yeah. Because a shoulder injury is like a major, major timeout for you. Like that's like what she's really worried about as she ages. And I mean, having a shoulder, shoulder or elbow surgery means you can't do Uh, anything. You can't do anything. And I had that experience. I broke my shoulder last August and right. It was literally right when I quit the other job I was working for was like, yay, doing my own business. And then I just (laughs) fell backwards in my wheelchair and it hurt so bad. And I was like, this is bizarre. Um, the next day I went and got an x-ray and an MRI. And they're like, yeah, you got a break and a tear. And I was like, you're kidding. Like, I didn't even 
like I just hit the ground. Like I didn't tweak, I didn't do anything. I was pissed and <laughs> I couldn't do anything. I mean, I could barely sleep. The pain was horrible. And mm. my husband washed my hair for me for like two months and he did a oh much better job than I do when I wash my hair. So that was nice. I missed that. Um, <laughs> I missed the at-home like, spa treatment. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, I mean, I'm lucky that my husband, that I have a husband, first of all. Like he doesn't do any care for me other than like, well, he watched, like the most he's done is like wash my hair for me when I broke my shoulder, he's but so he'll like transfer me and stuff because he's a big guy and he, um, his family isn't, his dad's a physical therapist for people with spinal cord injuries. And oh, so wow. Chris, like, was his tech. So he has some knowledge in that area, which is really helpful when it comes to transferring and by travel. Oh, he's yeah, really helpful. He'll, like he'll carry me on airplanes and put me in his truck and stuff like that. But, um, so I'm very like fortunate for him, but I also understand that like, not everyone has a six, four, 300 pound husband. That just Yeah. Like, he's a big guy. Huge. Yeah. You guys met him. He's huge. Yeah. And he has like a huge beard now. Anyways, that's a different, that's a different story, but he looks crazy. Um, <laughs> and you know, even if you have a caregiver, like sometimes your caregiver is not equipped to like transfer you or, you know, physically do that like manual, like lifting. So yeah. So taking care uh, of yourself. You don't want that. And you don't want to have to depend on someone else. No, no. As much as possible. My goal is to make it to 65. <laughs> From 17 to 65, if I'm independent that whole time, I will be so freaking happy. Dang, I'll probably reassess when I'm 65 too, and then I'll make it to like 80. But Yeah. Yeah. And then you could just make, then, then you're like, well, I've worked really hard. So someone else can bear the brunt of all this extra work. Like, and then Alexa will be like a real robot that can wash yeah. your hair. So it'll be like, yeah. smart no, it'll, it'll be like animal. big, big hero. Um, what's his name? Baymax. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where he's like a home health. I mean, he's also a superhero, but he's also like a home health. That's what he was designed as. Rebecca's looking like she doesn't remember that. Did well, you not see that movie? No. Oh, it'll make you cry probably. Um, yeah. Like most the Disney Pixar types of features. But yeah, Big Big Hero 6 and it's Baymax and he's designed as like a home health type of like robot. Hmm. But anyway, that's way off topic. Um, <laughs> so I think something that can be really overwhelming for designers, Megan, is if we have the opportunity to work with a client who uses a wheelchair or who has additional needs, like where or who do they go to or look to for resources to help them work with those clients? Mm. That's a good question. Because like the books are just going to give you ADA, like the standards. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I recently got a book about universal design written by someone who's in a wheelchair. It's available on Amazon and I can give you guys the name to put in the show notes because yeah. I feel like it's a good, because universal design takes it that step further. And then as a, designer reading that your brain might start turning mm. um but, but yeah you know that's such a good question and I don't know if I have like a really really great answer but I do I'm trying to think um in almost every state or you know big city there probably is a uh nonprofit organization for that person's disability, whatever it is. Like oh, their foundation. Smart. So maybe looking and seeing and starting there and then giving them a call and seeing if they work with contractors. Um that's how I've got one of my contractor contacts was actually through the Arizona Spinal Cord Injury Association. Hmm. He only does aging in place. He only does like adaptive kind of design. Um, 
So That's finding really a contractor smart. like him, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, like instead of me now having to direct all these contractors, I finally get someone with some knowledge. Um, and he could so probably teach you stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And get, provide um, resources and good vendors and things yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever offered consultations for designers around accessibility? I haven't. And you know, you're not the first person who's asked me that. So that's probably a good ben- like business venture. Um, Blue I Copper Consulting that, coming yeah, 2021. It, it, <laughs> it, it, I have the domain name for that. So it has been oh, cool. something that's like in my plan, but honestly, I haven't done anything with it this year, man, between like the shoulder injury and then dealing like, you know how it is when you're, when you have like big ideas, like I have something on my desktop right now that I can see that says big ideas. And then like, I just keep putting those in. But then so I'm like, like, don't forget the big ones, you know, when. I mean, better to have too many ideas than not enough. Oh, absolutely. I'm never going to get bored. Someone asked me the other day, they're like, do you think you'll ever get bored with your business? And I was like, are you crazy? I was like, if I'm bored, um, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> like, um, Yeah. Or I have five other business ideas in my yeah, back. Why, why would a business owner get bored? But um, no, I haven't. And I do think that that would be um, a really good, really good tool. Cause you know, now you're like the third or fourth person who's asked me that. <laughs> that means there's a, that- a gap. Mm-hmm. If people well, are I think, asking, I think you should just put it on your website because, like, just a consultation. Like, if I have a project and I just want, you know, two hour consultation, like, it should be this. Like, you could consult a designer like you would a client, but from yeah. a different yeah. angle. Really, like, yeah. it's just a service offering. Okay, yeah. so I'm just gonna say she's she's creating it right now for you. Of, I'm like, just your- gonna. Put this out there, designers. If you need help with a project, just contact Megan. She's developing her new service offer. Yeah, I'm gonna start developing. I mean, obviously, I've been a resource for people, like just informally on like Instagram and stuff. I have answered some questions right. to designers and just people who aren't looking to hire me, but they just have a few questions, um, and I'm happy to answer those. So, yeah, maybe um, before I have an official thing, you can slide in my DMs and get some free advice, and then in a month it will not be free. Yeah. I think, I think consultations for services like that, like to, to talk about this is your making it your superpower is no joke that you, you deserve and have the right to be compensated for the level of experience and the background and the perspective that you bring to something. And while I think it's really commendable that you're willing to share that with others for free and that you want to help people and you want to like help raise up the community around that, I also think you totally should be compensated because that's time and energy that you're investing to help make people better. Um, and yeah, think about think about what that model might look like as something, even if it's not a full-blown consultation, it, it, there's got to be a model that could help that make sense for you to invest the time and energy away from your other client projects, but still be a resource and I think that's one of the reasons why we we think that the Hot Young Designers Club is valuable is sharing knowledge, sharing expertise, but making sure that it provides value and is helpful for a broader audience. And that's, I think you have something that you're onto that can really provide value. 
Well, thank you guys. That's such a great idea. So thank you for that. And I'm going to get on that. That's a <laughs> great idea. Like sometimes I think I overwork things in my head too, where I'm like, oh, it's going to be such a big undertaking. I'm yeah. Sure. It doesn't have to be like you're proclaiming to, to be an ADA expert or you're going to go through any kind of like formal channels. You're just going to give a informal like consultation online. Hour, like 90 minute consult. Or, yeah. And then there's a price that's with it. So you can schedule your time around it and make make sure that it doesn't interrupt your daily flow like maybe you only do them a certain day and at a certain Here time we are coaching her. i mean i'm just I saying like i think it's coaching business <laughs> if people are if people are asking you about it there's obviously a knowledge gap and people are unsure of how to approach it and what i've really liked about talking with you about this is that it's not just one aspect of you or your business about relating to um, disabilities or accessibility. It's part of a whole picture. And I think as designers, that's what we strive to think about is to capture the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And if we're missing a piece of knowledge to be able to pull together resources mm -hmm. and industry expertise to be able to provide the best possible experience for our clients. And so I view what the perspective and the knowledge you bring as a piece of that, that we should, there should be something or someone and, we can get help with when we just don't know the answer. And it's working, it's working knowledge. Like you saying 27 inch doors is the minimum. I mean, that's a very specific number that, you know, just from experience of a person that prefers a wider doorway or needs a wider doorway. But I'm probably not going to find that in a textbook anywhere. Yeah. It's going to say 36 not. inches. Yeah, it probably will. Right. You're right. So. Yeah. And then you're like, well, I get 36 inches. Yeah, so. so what do, what do I do? Yeah. 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 So that concludes that. our coaching session. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to see your new website. Oh my gosh, that was, that was such a great idea. Like I'm going to put, that's going in the big ideas and it'll get implemented soon. So thank you. Good. It. Okay. Um, we have a new segment that um, we're happy to debut with you today. Um, Rebecca, do you want to tell her how it works? Yes. So we're calling this segment The Burning Questions. And we have five questions that we're, we're going to ask our guests to um, answer in a quick fire style. So it's just, we just want to like have a fun way to tap into your brain and get to know you in a little different way. Yeah, I feel like I need like a buzzer, like Jeopardy. Buzzer. I know. <laughs> so if I hit the table, that's why. <laughs> Megan, in one sentence, how has your business changed as a result of COVID-19? My business has changed be as a result of COVID-19 in that I realized it is not the most important thing in my life. Mm. And I know that's like a cliffhanger sentence. If you want me to elaborate. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like throw that. another sentence at us. Okay. Um, I, you know, last year was a crazy year with my broken shoulder. And then for multiple years, I've had like, my stomach has hurt all the time. Like my health has been not tip top. And I have noticed that my health has to be my number one, even though mm -hmm. sometimes I don't want it to be, it has to be because it affects my business. Mm -hmm. And, um, in the first two year of my business, my business was number one, it was most important, but I wasn't able to get the, the results because I was ignoring the health, you know, mm -hmm. like my body yeah. wasn't physically able to keep up with my business demand. Um, and so that was my goal this year. 
and I'm achieving it. And that, and that's when I said, like, if I don't get one more client, it's okay because we're going to get healthier this year. You're going to start going to doctors and figure it out. And so that (laughs) next year you can be a better business person, but your health has to be number one. And so, sorry, that's a paragraph. I'm really inspired by that. No, that's really good. (laughs) Really good. Okay. So what have you done for professional development recently that you want to recommend to our listeners? This could be books, podcasts, seminars. Honestly, I like I said before we started, like I've binged your guys' podcast. So that yes. has been some great development. Um, I, I've listened to a few design podcasts, but I really like your guys' format. So thank you. And another thing that I invested in when I first started my business, so it's been two years now, was um, I guess she's like a life coach, not technically a business coach. Um, she's an accountability girl mm-hmm. we don't know what to call okay. her but life coach for best luck of a better term and i highly recommend it someone like that in your life whether you need to pay for that find that or you have someone in your life if you're a lucky person um mm-hmm. it, that has helped me tremendously what's one design element that you've been drawn to lately whether it's a material or an object or a finish just what are you feeling lately oh what am i feeling lately i am feeling incorporating moody paint tones and into our beautiful white homes so. <laughs> yes here here look at us yeah. all with our moody I, background i think no. we've all been moving into that let's reincorporate color lately that's a cool one yeah this one is a fun one if you could live in the set of any tv show or movie what would it be i the one that keeps coming to mind is dexter but it's just my favorite tv show I don't necessarily think I want to live in Miami, but like, like which house? The yellow. Um, oh, I have the, to the apartment house. or the Spanish I house. I want, or... I want the little Spanish house, and I want the cool apartment. I want both. Mm-hmm. I want to be there. Um, without the you know, <laughs> without, without the murder. Name. Oh my gosh, yes, without the murders. I don't know. That was like <laughs> the first show that just like caught my heart. I just love. I'm a, I'm like a true crime. Okay. I'm not into like period things. I don't want to go back in time. No, no, no. I don't want to live in Abbey. Yeah. Oh gosh, no. No, 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 no. You don't want to have to use a bedpan instead of a bathroom. Oh, I'm with that. No. Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> All right, our last our last burning question. What's one non-living object that you would save from your home in a fire? <gasps> Oh, that's so cute. Um, my husband made me a rose out of metal for one of our Valentine's Day. And that's what I would save. Aw. It's like, like a, a welded? Steel. Yeah, it's welded. It's like a steel rose. And it was just like, I don't know. It's just like the most, it was like not even a big deal for him. But I'm like, this is the best gift you ever gave me. So. And you'll have it forever. Mm-hmm. That might actually survive a fire. So that's Yeah, that's one. true. So. Yeah. <laughs> you probably keep Give it there. It was a good gift. No, that's it would melt. You would want to take it out. Yeah. Definitely. Love it. Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so much fun. Thank you, guys. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you for having me and um, just like all your questions and then being so open about my perspective. And it's fun to know that you guys kind of like dabble, you know, you know, people with my perspective as well. So do you want to tell our listeners how they can find you? Oh, yeah. Um, Instagram is probably our biggest one, Blue Copper Design. Um, our website is bluecopper.design. We're one of those weirdos because the .com was all taken. So, 
um, dot design, but I love it. And yeah, those are, those are our two main places where you can find us. So if you need a, um, consultation on (laughs) accessibility yeah i'll put it on my website here like soon my gosh that's such a good (laughs) you got this look at it we're just we got to make be change makers that's what we do thanks for it's easier to tell other people what to do than to actually do things myself (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh thank you guys well thank you so much have a great day You too. Bye. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. She also... Why do I always... She shows. She shows. She shows. She... (laughs) She shared every time. It's just one word. you're punking me. (laughs) No. I'm not. It's just words. She shares with Sean. <laughs> she she shares she shares with Sean. What does she share? <laughs>